This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. So that we might rest in that love and ultimately reflect that love out into the world. In order to do that, this semester at large group, we're looking at the book of Mark together. And what we are seeing together is that the gospel is not advice, it is news. Christianity is not advice, it's news. And specifically, it is news about the arrival of a king. And so we are calling our Mark series Following the King, because every Wednesday night we are asking together, who is this king that has arrived in the world, and what might it look like for me to follow him? So I don't know if you'll know this or not, but uh, there's a football game this weekend, Um, and uh, a team that's supposed to be slightly better than Louisiana Monroe is coming to DK. And uh, true story, in 2014, Ole Miss, my alma mater, beat Alabama when Alabama was ranked number one, and we all tore down the goalposts, and then my friends and I actually ended up with one of those goalposts, and we carried the goalposts back to my friend's house, and we ended up being featured on Sports Center that night. And so that might be you on Saturday, <laughs> Saturday afternoon, carrying the goalposts down the Keaton. One can dream, you never know. Uh, the point is, uh, it's Bama week, and all of you have plans for this weekend. I mean, I've already heard some of your plans. Some of you are waking up at 8.30, some of you are spending the night the night before to make sure you get into the game. All of you have plans. You all know what you will be doing this weekend. You all know where you will be on Saturday at 11 a.m. You all know how you want things to go on Saturday morning. And you're all sharing the same fear about how things could go. So, again, we all have plans. And in our passage tonight, we see that Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they all have plans too. Our whole passage takes place over the course of one weekend, from a Friday to a Saturday night. And then what we are going to see is that this weekend, for Simon, Andrew, James, and John, is not at all the weekend that they had in mind. In order to see that, two things, two points tonight. First, the disruption of the king. And then second, dealing with the king. So the disruption of the king and then dealing with the king. First, the disruption of the king. Looking back at our passage, you'll notice that our passage tonight begins on a lake. And we know from the context of the story that it is a Friday. And so you can imagine uh, it's a peaceful Friday morning. And, and Simon and Andrew are standing on the shore, and they're fishermen, so they're casting out a line, and they're kind of like watching the clock, maybe we can get a good haul and go home early and like go to Matt's Hill Rancher and whatever, right? <laughs> um, and so then like this strange man named Jesus suddenly appears on the shore and begins to disrupt everything. I mean, look at verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me. 
Not, I'm Jesus. He wants you straight into it. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We are leaving right now. Let's go. What exactly is Jesus saying to the disciples here, and why is it so disruptive? Well, it's important to realize that if you're Simon or Andrew or James or John, fishing is all that you know. Some of you are lake people. You're going to Lake LBJ or whatever the Dallas Lake is that people go to. I don't know. But like this, these are lake guys. That is their life. I mean, if you're Simon, Andrew, James, or John, your grandfather would have been a fisherman. Your dad was a fisherman. And so for you, it wasn't like, maybe I'll go into commercial real estate or maybe I'll be like an influencer or something, right? Like you were going to be a fisherman. That was what you were going to do. And so the first thing Jesus then is asking these men to do is actually to leave behind their families and the family business in order to follow them. And we see this in verse 20 where it says, James and John left their father, Zebedee, in the boat. But even more than this, Jesus is also asking the disciples here to leave behind their identity. Their identity. Because in a culture like this, it was a traditional and communal culture in which family was everything. You would live not only with your immediate family, but with your aunts and your uncles and your extended family and your your in-laws, all in sort of one house and complex. And that was because... Family was everything. You were your family. That was your identity. So he's asking them to leave behind family. He's asking them to leave behind their identity. And on top of all that, Jesus is asking them to leave behind their security. Because look again at the end of verse 16. It says, Simon and Andrew were casting an end to the sea, for they were fishermen. They were fishermen. That is what they were. It is all they've ever done. And it's all they plan to ever do. It is how they make a living. It is how they put food on the table. It is their security. And so Jesus comes and disrupts it all. He says, uh, leave your family and your identity and your security and follow me and become fishers of men. Now, fishers of men, like what he's inviting them to actually do actually just makes all of this worse. Because this phrase, fishers of men, this phrase, we, we kind of have an idea of what it means now, but like this phrase would not have made any sense to the disciples. I mean, Jesus here is referencing a very obscure passage in the Old Testament. And Fishers of Men was, was a title that was used for God, but was not a title that was used for people. So again, what Jesus was saying was nonsensical. It's sort of like when Father of the Bride received Martin, one of my wife's favorite movies. If you ever want to watch a 90s rom-com, my wife is your But uh, Father Bride, Steve Martin, you'll remember Annie, uh, who is Steve Martin's precious daughter, brings home this guy named Brian McKenzie. And what Steve Martin uh, quickly realizes is that Brian McKenzie isn't just Annie's boyfriend, he's actually her fiancé, and they're getting married. And so Steve Martin begins to grill him and and, and asks him, Brian, uh, what do you do for a living? And Brian says, I'm an independent communications consultant. Do you remember this? And Steve Martin really says, is that even a real job? Right? I mean, Jesus here, this is what it would have sounded like to the disciples. Leave your family, your identity, your security to follow me, a man you do not know, in order to take a job that doesn't even sound real. This is not the life that the disciples had in mind. And it is not the weekend they had in mind. And it's only Friday. Friday. 
So let's look back at the passage. Let's move now on to Saturday morning. Because picking up in verse 21, we see that for some reason, the disciples have decided to follow Jesus into town and into church. They're still with the guy. It says, they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, which, which was on Saturday for them, he entered the synagogue or the church and was teaching. And that church, again, some very disturbing and disruptive things begin to happen. I mean, first, we see that Jesus gives a kind of awkward and controversial sermon. And we see this in verse 22. It says, they were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus' sermon is different. And, and, and they're astonished at it. Why? When Jesus' day, there was a very particular way that sermons in the synagogue were supposed to go. Here's how they went. One of, the, one of the teachers would stand up, and, and what they would do is they would quote a lot of the teachers from the past that had come before. So, teacher might stand up and say, uh, this morning we are going to talk about sin. And, and as you know, uh, Rabbi Joseph, way back in the day, once said this about sin. And, and then later, uh, uh, Rabbi Benjamin came, and he said this about sin. And then Rabbi Joshua came, and he said this about sin. And this morning, I want to say to you something very similar to what they said in the past. That is how sermons went. But when Jesus gives a sermon, he does not mention any of the rabbis or anyone that has come before. He just gets up and says it. I mean, he teaches as if he is the first person to ever teach. And if you want to know what people generally thought of Jesus' sermons, uh, you should go home and read Luke 4 sometime. Where, where Jesus gives a sermon in his hometown, in his home church of Nazareth. And you would think that like all of his friends and family would play nice. But instead, they boo him off the stage. They carry him out of church and they try to throw him off of a cliff. That's Luke 4. So Jesus gives an awkward sermon. And, and then things get even worse and more disruptive. Because we see that the second the sermon is over, it says in verse 23, Immediately, there was in their church a man with an unclean spirit. What that means is that suddenly there is a man with a demon. And this man begins confronting Jesus, this, this guy that you've gone to church with, and shouting at him. I mean, y'all, if we're sitting in church, we think it's disruptive of like a baby cries. I mean, you're the disciples and you were sitting in church, and suddenly there's a man with a demon shaking and crying out to Jesus, the guy you came to church with. I mean, this is not the church service they had in mind. It is not the weekend they had in mind. It is not the life they had in mind. Everything has been disrupted. But what I want us to see now is that Jesus is disruptive for a reason. Because what he is doing is he is forcing people to make up their minds about who he is. He is forcing people to decide whether they are actually going to follow him. And he is forcing people to deal with him. So that's point two. Dealing with the king. Dealing with him. So C.S. Lewis uh, famously said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. Some of you have heard this before. Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's lord. I mean, think about this. Um, think about uh, 
you're sitting in accounting class one day, and, and, and a man comes up to you, and he taps you on the shoulder in accounting class, and he says, I'm king of the universe. I'm God. And what you need to do is uh, you need to follow me. And you need to drop out of McCombs, and you need to become an independent communications consultant. <laughs> and uh, you probably aren't going to make a lot of money, and you definitely aren't going to be able to buy a ranch, and likely no one will ever know who you are. And we're leaving right now. <laughs> I mean, in a matter of seconds, you would have to decide whether this person is lying to you, whether they are a crazy lunatic, or whether they're actually king of the universe and actually <laughs> And if the man is crazy, you can ignore him and look straight back out at your laptop and carry on with your life. If he's lying to you, same thing. But if he is Lord, you do not get to ignore him. You have to deal with him. It doesn't matter whether you actually like what he is saying or, or what he is calling you to do. If he's Lord and he's King, it doesn't matter. You can't ignore him, and you have to deal with it. And that's what's happening in Mark 1, is that everyone here is being forced to make a pretty quick decision about who Jesus is and whether they are going to roll with him or not. I mean, look, look back at the passage and notice all the different people and all the different ways that people are responding to Jesus as we work through this passage. Verse 23, the demons respond to Jesus by, by confronting him and saying, we know who you are, uh, you're, you're the son, you're, the, you're God. In verse 27, all the people at church are responding to Jesus by, by being amazed and, and, and fascinated and astonished at his teaching. Uh, in verse 28, all the people in the surrounding villages begin to hear about Jesus, and they kind of begin to treat Jesus sort of like a celebrity. He, he's, he's fascinating. In verse 31, Simon's mother-in-law, after she is healed by Jesus, responds by beginning to serve him. And in verse 33, at the end of the passage, it says the whole city is gathered outside of Jesus' door. And they are bringing everyone who is sick and everyone who is oppressed to him. And so what we see is that Jesus is magnetic. He's magnetic. And, and, and everyone here is either being pulled towards him or away from him. But what no one is in our passage is neutral towards Jesus. No one is remaining right where they are. Everyone is either moving toward him or away from him. And what's fascinating about our friends, Simon and Andrew and James and John, is that the more Jesus disrupts their weekend and their plans and their life, actually the more they invite him further and deeper into their lives. The more disruptive he is, the more they actually say, come closer. And we see this in verse 29. So what happens? Church lets out, and everyone goes home to watch the cowboys. But Simon and Andrew invite Jesus over to their house. I mean, 24 hours ago, Jesus was a stranger. And now they're inviting Jesus over for lunch. Why? Because over the course of 24 hours, from a Friday to a Saturday, something has happened. 
And the disciples have made up their minds about who Jesus is. And what they have decided is that he is actually the king. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's actually Lord and King of the universe. <coughs> and they've also realized that although Jesus is disruptive, and although in many ways he is not safe, he is good. And if you've read the Narnia stories, you know this line. Remember, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Aslan, he's the king of Narnia, and he's a lion. And, and, and Aslan has been away from Narnia for a long time. Then in the book, he's finally coming back, and the king is returning. And so all the young people in the story, they've never met Aslan before. They don't know who he is. And so Susan, one of the younger characters, asks one of the older characters, Mr. Beaver, tell me about Aslan. What is he like? And Mr. Beaver says, well, he's not a man. He's a lion. And understandably, this kind of freaks Susan out a little bit. And so Susan admits that like, she's kind of feeling nervous about meeting Aslan. And, and, and asks Mr. Beaver, I mean, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? No one said anything about safe. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king. And friends, that is what the disciples are realizing. And that is what we must realize tonight. I mean, Jesus is not safe, but he is good. I mean, if, like the disciples, you decide to follow Jesus, he will disrupt your life. I mean, he will disrupt your plans. He will lead you to places you would have rather not gone. And yet, he's good. Because Jesus will come into your house just like he comes into the house of Simon. And he will bring life and healing and flourishing to you. Jesus is a king with all the power and all the authority and all the strength in the world. And yet, he uses those things for your good and to give you life. And so the question before us tonight is, will we, like the disciples, see that Jesus is king and deal with him? Or will we try to hide and run away from him? That's really the question before us. So in order to close, I want to ask you a few questions uh, to consider as you think about your own life and ask what it might look like to, to, to deal with Jesus in your life, okay? So here's the first question. Is your Jesus too safe? Is your Jesus too safe? I mean, for most of us, most of the time, I really think that the answer is yes. I mean, Jesus for us is pretty safe. We're pretty comfortable with Jesus. He's kind of like an old grandpa, right? Regardless of what you think about Joe Biden, he's kind of like Joe Biden, right? He's just kind of like, you know, he's a, he's a grandpa, right? And, um, and or, you know, we're, you know, we kind of think of Jesus like he's, our, he's like our therapist, right? When do you go to your therapist when you need something? You go to your therapist, and you ask things of your therapist, but your therapist does not ask anything of you. And yet if Jesus is king, he gets to ask whatever he wants. He isn't safe, but he's good. Is your Jesus too safe? Here's the second question to think about, and that is, where do you go to hide from Jesus? Because all of us, including myself, we have places 
and things that we go to to hide behind Jesus. It's raining outside. Let's just name it. It's all there. It's about to, it's going to like make the noise on the roofs and we'll, we'll okay. It's always a thing. Like when you're in these settings, it's raining. It's like, it's raining. <laughs> They've like never seen rain before. Um, it's raining. <laughs> so again, where do you go to hide from Jesus? We all have these places. But what we see tonight is that Jesus goes to all of the disciples' safe places. He, he goes to the very places that they would be most willing to use or to hide from them. I mean, think about it. Again, they're lake people. Some of you are lake people. The lake is their safe place. And Jesus goes to the lake. And he literally rocks the boat. Right? I mean, the disciples are religious people. The church is their safe place. And yet Jesus goes into their synagogue, into their church. I mean, and so what about you? Where do you go so that you do not have to deal with Jesus and you can just keep doing your thing? For some of you, uh, maybe you go to the library. You go to the library, it's quiet, um, and when you're studying, when you're during school, you're in complete control. Maybe for you, it's the only thing in your life that kind of makes sense. Because you know you can control the outcomes. If you study enough and you work hard enough, you'll make good grades. And if you make good grades, you'll get the internships that you want. And if you get the internships that you want, you'll get the job that you want. And if you get the job that you want, you will get the life that you want. So here you are in the library. You see your future laid out for you. And you are king. You are in control. For others of you, uh, perhaps you go to, to, to parties to hide from Jesus. Maybe you go to parties. I mean, you go to a party, you can like, get a good buzz and be around some people. You can turn up the music and you don't have to deal with any of the negative emotions that you feel inside. I, I, I mean, whether that's uh, social anxiety or, or sadness or, or grief or insecurity about, about your life or your body, whatever it is, you just don't have to deal with it at the party. At least for like three hours Friday, Saturday night, whatever, I don't have to deal with it. And so you go to the party and you take these things to the party and you can numb them so that you don't have to give them to Jesus. Others of you, maybe you actually go to a place like church or RUF or to some sort of religious place in order to hide from Jesus. And that sounds strange, but, but, but think about it. Um, as one commentator points out, what do we call the building where we have church? We call it often the sanctuary. And do you know what sanctuary literally means? It means safe place. And for many of us, we actually go to church and we go and do religious things, not so we have to deal with Jesus, but so that we actually can hide from him and depend on him less. I mean, we think... If I can just fill my life with religious, religious activities, the more I pray, the more I read my Bible, the better I'll feel about myself. And the better I feel about myself, actually, the less I have to depend on Jesus. Jesus goes into these safe places because he is good. And he wants us to depend on him and not on ourselves. Here's the third and final question I want to ask all of us tonight. And that is, are we open to the king and his plans for our lives? Are we open to the King? Are our hands and our hearts open to Him? Because ultimately what Jesus is inviting us to us tonight in Mark 1 is what one author calls a radical openness before God. 
He is wanting us to hold more loosely to our plans, to our desires, to our vision for our life, to our vision of our future, and to at least ask maybe for the first time, what does God want from me? And if you want to develop this sort of openness in your life, and if I want to develop this sort of openness more in my life, it is going to have to begin for all of us in prayer. That is where it will begin. Because when you pray, uh, what happens? In prayer, you, you stop hiding from God and you actually deal with Him. Uh, in prayer, you, you, you kneel before the King and you say, Your will be done. I mean, in prayer, we learn to take the things going on in our life, in our, our hurts, our pains, our, our joys, our regret, our guilt, whatever we carry. We learn to take these things to Jesus and not somewhere else. We learn to take them to Jesus and not to the library, not to the partner, not to someone else, something else that can't truly heal us and carry them for us. I mean, in prayer... We learn to be honest with God. Some of you don't know that you can do that. Do you know that you can be honest with God? That you can look at God and say, God, I am angry with you. I do not understand why you've allowed this thing to happen in my life, and he can handle it. You can say to God, I'm sad, and I'm wondering if you're actually sad with me, and he can handle it. You can say to God, God, to be honest, I really don't care what you want to do with my life because I have plans. And he can handle it. Prayer is where we learn to be honest with God and we learn that he can actually handle our honesty and handle it when we deal with him and bring things to him. In prayer, we learn to do this. We learn to open our hands before God and drop whatever it is we're holding on to tightly. I mean, for the disciples, it was the nets. They immediately dropped their nets. For you, it is not nets, but it is something. It is something you're holding on to very tightly. And really, the only way to release it is prayer. Because prayer is where we open our hands or where God cries our hands open when we will not open them ourselves. And in prayer, we invite Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper into our lives, even like Simon and Andrew, into our house. So, uh, it's Bama week. Everyone has plans. All of you know what you'll be doing on Saturday morning. You all have plans for the weekend. You all have plans for your life. Are you willing to be at least a little bit open and curious to what God might want from you? Are you open to, perhaps for the first time, dealing with Jesus and not running away and hiding from him, trusting and knowing that he isn't safe, but he's really, really good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that myself, like all of us, uh, hold on to things very tightly. I hold on to tightly to plans that I have for my life and things that I want and outcomes that I want to bring about. And yet, Lord, uh, if we are ever going to be open to you 
and open to your plans, we're going to need a lot of help. And so please send your spirit among us. Send your son Jesus to us to make us more and more open to you and to your plans for our lives. In your son's name, amen.